Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hello and welcome to Cool Canadian History. I'm your host, David Boris. War demands incredible things from people. Sometimes war witnesses the absolute worst depredations of humankind. Other times, war sees some of the greatest acts of bravery, and sometimes the greatest acts of humanity. For most people who have participated in a war zone, their experiences sit somewhere in between depredation and bravery. A human just trying to survive while not letting down those around him or her. But then, there are the absolute rarest of stories, where a single person defied the odds in terms of putting themselves in harm's way, sacrificing their body time and time again in the impending face of death only to come out the other side, while so many did not. This is the story of one of those people a one-eyed French-Canadian pugilist whose exploits should have been made into a feature film or a literary bestseller, a man whose war service would almost be unbelievable if it weren't so damn true. This is Season 5, Episode 13, Leo Major, A French-Canadian Rambo. Now, unfortunately, there is no current book on the life and times of Leo Major, though there is a biography currently being written by Luc Lepine. Uh, Major's story is almost too hard to believe. Maybe that's why it hasn't been turned into anything. However, there was a very interesting documentary made in 2017 that was called Leo Major, The One-Eyed Ghost. In terms of book recommendations, however, I will recommend this book, Korea, Canada's Forgotten War by author John Melody. This details Canada's involvement in the Korean War, of which Leo Major was a participant. So Leo Major was born to French-Canadian parents on the 23rd of January 1921 in New Bedford, Massachusetts. That's right. 
He was born in the USA. You see, years before his birth, Leo's father had gotten a job with the American Railroad Company, and him and his then new wife moved to the United States where Leo was, of course, eventually born. However, within one year of Leo's birth, his parents decided to return to Canada and settled in a tough, working-class, French-speaking neighborhood in Montreal. Leo grew up the oldest of 13 children, and while a skinny lad, he became well-known for a short fuse and being a scrappy boxer, both in the streets and sometimes even in the ring. By 14 years of age, Leo was constantly at odds with his own father, who, by all accounts, was himself a violent man. Yelling matches and physicality between the two were quite common, and thus Leo went to live with his aunt. Though he continued to chafe under the authority of his home life. When war broke out in 1939, Leo, now 18, like many Canadians, was struggling to find work in the midst of this country's greatest economic depression. The lack of steady work, coupled with his difficult relationship with his family, and his chafing at authority led Leo to sign up for the Canadian Army. It should be noted that in 1940, French Canadians in Quebec, while not generally opposed to the war, were not altogether enthusiastic for signing up either. Recruitment numbers in Quebec were lower than in other parts of English-speaking Canada, and while French-Canadian resistance to recruitment was not nearly as severe as it was during the First World War, Leo signing up so early in the war was relatively uncommon amongst French-speaking Canadians. Nonetheless, the prospect of adventure, getting away from home, regular paychecks, and perhaps a scrap or two all led Major to enlisting, eventually finding himself in La Regiment de la Chaudière, one of a number of French-speaking regiments in the Canadian Army during the Second World War. Major specifically was trained as a scout, and this included training as a sniper as well as long-range patrol. The Chaudes, as they were known, were part of 8th Canadian Infantry Brigade, which was part of 3rd Canadian Infantry Division. You'll remember this division from last week's episode. They were famously known as the Water Rats. This meant that in June 1944, the Shodes were part of the D-Day invasion force, and Leo Major was right there with him. The Shodes followed up the initial beach assault on Juneau by the Queen's own rifles, capturing the main village of Beni sur mer and eventually setting up defensive positions just south of the village. Leo Major quickly distinguished himself on the 6th of June when he single-handedly captured a German armored vehicle which contained communications and important intelligence. A few days later, Major was on patrol when he engaged four SS soldiers, most likely those from the 12th SS Panzer Hitler Youth Division, killing all four of them. However, in the brief fight, one of the Germans managed to wound Major with a phosphorus grenade. The ensuing explosion resulted in Major losing his eye. Now, 
Normally, this would have been it for any soldier. But when told he was going home, Major refused, saying he was a sniper, and a sniper only needed one good eye to shoot. Major thus remained with his regiment and in the war. It was in late October 1944 where Major and the Shodes were thrust into the Battle of the Scheldt Estuary. This was a crucial battle to clear the waterway approaches, known as the Scheldt, to the important port city of Antwerp. Until these approaches were cleared, Antwerp could not be opened to Allied shipping. Without Allied shipping, any serious push into Germany would be severely hampered by logistical difficulties. The Shodes were part of the clearing of a specific part of the estuary known as the Breskin's Pocket. This was the southernmost German positions defending the Scheldt estuary. Major was conducting a solo reconnaissance patrol when he saw two Germans walking along a dike. He captured one of them and killed the other German when that soldier went for his gun. From information gleaned by the one remaining captured prisoner, Major was able to discern that a small garrison of nearly 100 enemy were nearby in a small village. Defying all sensibility, Major attacked this garrison. He killed its commander and several other soldiers before the rest of the garrison surrendered. Incredibly, As Major was marching back with his nearly 100 prisoners of war, a nearby unit of SS troops opened fire on all of them. They in fact killed several German soldiers, but they missed Major himself. Regardless of these brutal SS actions, Major walked back to the Canadian lines with just over 90 captured prisoners. His actions in this pretty much reckless display of bravery led to him being chosen to receive the Distinguished Conduct Medal, effectively the second highest decoration for bravery in the British Commonwealth. Shockingly, Major refused. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. According to him... He knew that he would be presented this decoration by none other than General Bernard Montgomery, the British general commanding 21st Army Group, of which 1st Canadian Army was a part of. In Major's opinion, Montgomery was incompetent, and Major refused the decoration on account of his own personal dislike of General Montgomery. What? If any, reaction Montgomery might have had to this insult from a French-Canadian private is sadly unknown. So, we have Leo Major, with a patch over one of his eyes, having refused one of the highest decorations in the British Commonwealth, 
continuing onwards into battle with his regiment. In February 1945, the Shodes found themselves near the Hochwald Forest, fighting towards the banks of the Rhine River when he was riding in a jeep that struck a mine. Major remembers a loud explosion and his body being tossed into the air. When he landed, he lost consciousness but awoke shortly after where he was taken to the hospital, loaded up on morphine with two broken ankles and a seriously injured back. Before he was fully healed, however, Major was able to get a release from the hospital and return to the front line with his unit as it prepared to liberate the remainder of the Netherlands. Leo Major simply refused to be sent home. While all of this so far seems like an incredible journey in and of itself, Major's exploits are only just beginning. In April 1945, Major and the Shodes were stationed just outside of the German-occupied village of Zwolle in the Netherlands. Zwolle had approximately 50 to 60,000 civilians living in it at the time. It was a key transportation center, stationed almost dead center in the middle of the country, and was also the last bastion of the German defensive network known as the Esel Line. The Shodes, who were now part of the 7th Canadian Infantry Brigade, were preparing to liberate the town but had very little information on German defensive positions. Calls thus went out for a volunteer reconnaissance patrol and Major, along with his buddy Corporal Wilfred Arsenault, stepped up. Late in the evening on the 13th of April, the two of them snuck into the suburbs of the town when they were spotted and fired upon by a German outpost. Arsenault was killed. Arsenault had become a friend to Major over the years that the two were in the shows. Major was thus mad, and he decided to carry on. He snuck deeper into the town, surprising a German machine gun position and killing the Germans before they could even draw their weapons. Here's where things get interesting. Major then went and captured a German scout car, which still contained a lone German driver. He then forced that driver by gunpoint to drive through the town with its lights on waving a white flag while Major shot at anything that moved. As Major terrorized the German defenders within the town, luck was entirely with him when he encountered the head of the local Dutch resistance force. At this point, the Germans believed that a sizable Canadian force was attacking when in fact it was primarily major with a smattering of lightly armed resistance soldiers. Regardless, and incredibly, the German garrison in Zvol evacuated and retreated farther north. As the sun came up on the morning of the 14th of April, 1945, the citizens of Zvol flooded the streets and realized that they had been liberated. Instead of participating in the fanfare, Major recovered the body of his friend Arsenault and returned back to the Canadian lines. Speaking of this event, Major once wrote, and I quote, With a small German staff car and the help of the four Dutchmen, I brought back Willie to Colonel Tashero. Then I told him, you may bring in the unit on parade. 
the city is completely liberated. He couldn't because he was waiting for an order from higher up before he could make any moves. Many of the Dutch scouts were crying, and for the first time during the war, I was crying too. I went back inside the town alone, and an hour later the entire brigade entered the city to join in the celebration. End quote. For his actions, Leo Major was once again recommended for the Distinguished Conduct Medal, and this time he accepted it. A reminder, folks, before we continue with our incredible story, if you go to our Facebook page or our website, you will see links to PayPal or Patreon. Both of these links provide safe and secure ways to donate to the podcast. PayPal gives you the option to donate one time or on a monthly basis, while Patreon allows you to set up regular preset donations. So, for instance, if you want to donate two bucks or five bucks or ten bucks or a million bucks for every episode we publish, well, Patreon allows you to set that up. We survive exclusively on your donations, and every dollar donated is extremely helpful in allowing us to continue to bring you this history program as well. On our Facebook page and on Apple Podcasts, you can leave us a rating and a comment. We love to hear from you, so please don't be shy. And if you enjoy this podcast, we sure appreciate those five stars. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. Leo Major survived the war incredibly against all odds, considering his own story. He returned to Montreal in the post-war period. He settled down into the routine of civilian life. He even got surgery on his back. He began working as a pipe fitter. Life seemed to be entering a calmer, quieter phase for the man. Then, in 1950, Canada found itself at war once again, this time on the Korean Peninsula. South Korea was almost totally collapsing in the face of a China-backed North Korean invasion, and the United Nations, led by an eager United States, was, for the first time in its young history, going to send a military force to intervene. The Canadian government made the decision to send troops as part of this UN operation. One of the regiments chosen to go overseas was the famous French-Canadian regiment, the Royal 22nd Regiment, otherwise known as the Van Dues. The commander of the Van Dues was given leave to actively recruit French-speaking men to join the regiment. Leo Major was at the top of the list. Major was in fact asked to volunteer, and he said yes. Once again, Leo Major was going to war. By 1951, the war had greatly intensified. The United Nations forces had driven the North Korean forces back to the border of China. But this success triggered the official entrance of China, and Chinese-led communist forces began driving the UN forces back southwards to the midway point on the peninsula. Major, as part of the 25th Canadian Infantry Brigade, was leading a Van Dues scout and sniper platoon in the mountainous terrain on the south bank of the Imjin River. The Van Dues were positioned on the very right flank of the Canadian line, holding an awkward position in order to link up with the Americans on their right. 
Communist forces had been launching a series of small attacks searching for a weak link in the UN lines. The key geographical feature in the Van slash American area was known as Hill 355, nicknamed Little Gibraltar. Rumors had it throughout the ranks that truce talks were going fairly well, and the communist forces sought to seize this very favorable piece of ground before the truce talks resulted in an official truce and the fighting stopped. So Hill 355, Little Gibraltar, became that piece of favorable ground. It dominated the terrain for 20 miles in every direction. Thus, on the 22nd of November, as the Vandus were settling into their new positions on an adjacent hill, the communists attacked Hill 355. The Americans were quickly pushed off this position in the face of overwhelming communist numbers, and quickly the communists switched their attention to the Vandus, who found themselves falling back as well. Only a small portion D Company of the Vandus remained in their trenches and were now subject to withering communist attacks from all sides. However, the Canadians and Americans were not going to sit idly by and both began to prepare counterattacking forces. For the Canadians, this counterattack was going to be spearheaded by Leo Major and his sniper scout platoon. Late in the evening, on the 24th of November, Major's counter-attacking force struck, and a brutal seesaw battle erupted for the terrain around Hill 227 and Hill 355. As more and more Chinese troops were thrown into the battle, Major was ordered to withdraw. Yet, and this shouldn't come as a surprise to any of us now, he refused. In fact, when the fighting reached its crescendo, Major began directing mortar and artillery fire onto attacking Chinese troops in his own vicinity, nearly directing this fire onto his own position. But his men were well dug in. They had automatic weapons. And for the next three days, the Chinese threw wave after wave against Major and his men with no success and a rapidly rising body count to show for it. On the 27th of November, word came down the line that a ceasefire had been agreed upon. The demarcation line would now be set along the very positions that Major and his men held. The Battle of Hill 355, as it came to be known, was over. Incidentally, though, more fighting around this very hill would erupt later again in 1952. Nonetheless, for his actions at Hill 355, Leo Major received a bar to his Distinguished Conduct Medal, essentially meaning he was awarded it for a second time. After the war, Major returned once again to Montreal, but his body, at only the age of 33, was so destroyed from his time at war that he was unable to work again, and he lived the rest of his life off his veteran's pension. Like many veterans, Major rarely spoke of his time in either war. In fact, his family had little to no idea about Major's heroism in either Europe or Korea. It wasn't until 1969 when Major was asked to revisit the town of Zvol for a commemoration event that his family started to learn the incredible truth. 
For the rest of his life, Major continued correspondence with the people of Zvol and maintained close relations with a number of them. Leo Major died in October of 2008 and is buried in the last post field of honor in Pointclair, Quebec. The town of Zvol continues to commemorate Leo Major, naming a street after him and always remembering him as the sole liberator of their town. In fact, in 2018, a group of young Dutch soccer fans unfurled a banner at a local soccer game that showed a young Leo Major in uniform wearing his eye patch. His son, Dennis Major, put it pretty succinctly when he said, If he were American, there would have been a dozen films about him by now. My father was an ordinary man who did extraordinary things. I want to thank you all for listening today. A reminder, you can find us on Facebook, you can find us on Instagram, and you can find us at our homepage, coolcanadianhistory.com. And you can find me on Twitter, at DocBoris, that's at D-O-C-B-O-R-Y-S. Thank you for tuning in, and stay cool. Stay cool.